Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Mars. Uh, music, music, music. <laughs> It, you, you don't need to say it because like I, I, but I, just, I feel like I'm supposed to do what Alex does. It's true. It's true. Yeah. All right. <laughs> music, 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 music. And welcome back to the Masters of Modern. It's me, your host, Michael Grothy, here with Marshall James. Hi there. Uh, yeah. Uh, Alex and Ben are both at a commission. So it's, uh, it's us two today. Yeah. Marshall's uh, usually the producer, ooh. so you might recognize his voice, but you might not recognize his face because he's usually off camera. This is my face. I have one. And now we've more all than seen just it. a voice and more than just a faceless wonder. Yeah. So uh, we figured that rather than kind of continuing to go over Eldraine cards with like, you know, what we think is going to be good in the set, uh, we wanted that to be more of an Alex and Ben thing. So what we have started to see modern results with Eldraine. So we're going to start talking about what Eldraine stuff is actually showing up and talk about kind of potential sleeper hits uh, when Alexander or Ben is back. Yeah, yeah. So we've already had um, a several modern leagues on Magic Online where uh, Throne of Eldraine has been legal, and we also have a modern challenge. A modern challenge, which and, we have the top thirty-two lists from. Yeah, so there've been a lot of uh, exciting cards, and uh, so we got a bunch of fun decks to go over. Some sweet brews that we've been um, watching or that we've seen finish. Uh, well in these events and kind of talk about them and talk about what we think the yeah, new what's interesting is like modern, modern isn't like. totally shaken up so if these are s- successful like they're fighting against the typical you know jund blue white tron humans pillars of the format that you expect to see so these are like somewhat more proven than the standard we're standard like just face rotation there's a huge shake up so you're seeing all these awesome standard brews but like in two months how many of them are really going to be playable you know but modern it's you have to play against these tried and true decks already and you have to hold your own. So I think a lot of these decks are showing some promise. Yeah. And, uh, as we were talking about just last week, one of the big standouts has been Emery lurker of the lock. Yeah. Showing up in a lot of the Urza decks now, which are now playing, um, wishing, witching well as well. And, uh, paradoxical outcome. Yeah. Well, some of them, some of them are paradoxical outcome decks now instead of Thopter sword decks. Right. right. Um, which they win just by making a lot of mana and then, uh, yeah, they're, they're using playing like a, a Nexus bunch. of Fate, so you can like do Nexus of Fatey stuff. Okay, so we've got a Sahili Sublime Ar- Ar- Artificer as a win condition, um, and then we also have uh, one Nexus of Fate, obviously, and a Psy Master Thopterist. So you're looking to go very wide with Thopters and or Servos, similar to the uh, Thopter Sword decks. You're not relying on your graveyard. Um, which is interesting. Uh, I mean, obviously, Emery utilizes your graveyard, but you don't really need, like, if somebody, you know, surgical extracts something, you don't care at all. Yeah. It's really interesting that um, we were talking before we started recording about how uh, Emery really doesn't need affinity. Like, tacking affinity onto her just makes her obscene. Like, she's not quite Urza insane, but she's almost... Which uh, is yeah, funny I mean, I to be in a like standard a, set. Well, that like artifact stuff can always fly under the radar in standard because if you want it to be good enough, it has to be like psi good and even psi didn't really see play in standard because the artifact options are usually so poor unless mm. there's like explicitly an artifact set. Right. And then usually stuff's a little broken. Yeah. 
Although I guess the most broken part of the last artifact set was energy. And the set before that, the most broken thing was Phyrexian mana. So I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In general, letting people do things for colorless or for free, just always risky. Um, It is interesting to see, speaking of like energy, we were talking earlier about the role of food. And food really does feel like a kind of fixed version of energy, how it's now sort of sussing out in uh, in standard. It's like an energy that's slightly harder to accumulate, uh, more uh, interesting in how it's spent, but then it's also like energy that can always be cashed in for food, well, for it's also, life. it's interesting because it's like really slowing down um, standard and limited environments because like even if you're not like a food deck that's looking to use it like energy using payoffs like cauldron familiar or wicked wolf or whatever you're still you just like will play a bacon to a pie because it's a premium removal spell in draft and then you're like oh now i just have three extra life so like my opponent's aggressive night deck is gonna have a little bit more trouble closing out the game with a combat trick or something you know Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I've noticed like the, the standard and limited environments being much slower because of food. I don't think we're going to see that carry over into modern, even though we're starting to see some Okos show up. But I mean, I do think that like having Oko in your deck is randomly going to gain you six life against a burn deck and you're going to win. Yeah, (laughs) there were, I I played in the pre-release over the weekend and there were several matches where I lost because my opponent was able to gain like the critical amount of life off a piece of food that kept them alive. I also lost once because of a beloved princess, like one one point of life gain, and then the fact that I was going to have to swing back through her, and she was going to gain that one more point of life. It was like so frustrating. Underestimate the my, beloved princess. My my card pool was pretty uh, weak to begin with, so and I I think we were talking also before we started recording about how much more powerful adventure feels when you're actually playing with it than it seems on paper. Yeah, I mean, all the all the adventure cards are two for ones, and I think that's pronounced and sealed, especially at the pre-release. I would be, I'll be interested to see how it does in draft as the draft format shows up, and in fact, I'll be interested to see how it shows up in modern, which it has. Um, the main adventure cards that we saw this week, uh, this weekend from modern tournaments on Magic Online, uh, were we saw a this one I screenshotted so I can find it in my. We saw a Traverse uh, Shadow deck, which is the Jund version of the Death Shadow decks. Um, these were like the original Death Shadow decks before people started playing Grixis with Stubborn Denial. And they were playing Traverse the Ulvenwald. Because you're generally like a pretty threat-light deck, you can use Traverse the Ulvenwald to um, find more Death Shadows to kill them with. Um, but they're now playing one Murderous Rider, one Bone Crusher Giant main deck. Or at least this one that... Uh, that got top 32 in the challenge. Mm. Um, so you can find them with Traverse if you need to like find a spell. So I was like pretty low on Murderous Rider and by extension Bone Crusher Giant when we were talking about the cards on the podcast. But I, this is definitely a situation where you want these to be creatures and the fact that like the lose two life doesn't matter to you because you're Death Shadow. Right. So in like, fact, it's it's better than Hero's Downfall for Death Shadow. Right. I also think that like having played a little bit of standard on Arena, I underestimated the lifelink. Like in matchups where three mana heroes downfall lose two life is gonna be too slow, like mono red or something like that, you just play it for three mana and those decks are actually gonna have to like spend a card to kill it or they're gonna lose to it because right. the lifelink is relevant. And it having three toughness is really relevant too, because it tangos with a lot of two twos. Yeah, it can't be killed by Bone Crusher Giant or Shock. Um 
and bone crusher giant is the same. I mean, like it's pretty inefficient as a shock, but like, if you need it, you need it. A lot of the time you're, it's, it's pretty easy to trade evenly with it. I think like just deal two damage to a two drop and kill it. And then you just get like a free four, three that is really big and will punish <laughs> them for trying to get rid of it. Yeah. I mean, in, in, yeah, in standard, I was like, it was getting killed by like a planeswalker or whatever a lot of the time, or like they'd make me sacrifice it with priest of the forgotten gods or whatever. And I'm like, well, whatever. All right. You don't take two, but you know, it was just a two for one, right? Like they had to spend a card to get rid of it or a planeswalker activation or something, a planeswalker minus. And I got to like shock something or right. shock face. Yeah. Like at the minimum, all the adventure cards are two for ones. And, um, and so as a result, almost all of the, uh, ones that have a removal spell as their adventure. So that's murderous rider, the, the giant, the uh, brazen borrower. Yeah, I so I was I've been playing um, an is it flash list that I got from Ryan Overturf. Um, he posted on Twitter. He streamed it. I did not get to watch the stream, but I stole the list off of Twitter. Uh, and I'm <laughs> playing four brazen borrower, four bone crusher giant, and I was really appreciating um, the the adventures. Yeah, I mean on brazen borrower, like a lot of the time you're incurring card disadvantage or you're spending a lot of mana to bounce something like you're spending four mana for cryptic to bounce or you are you know using echoing truth or vapor snag or something and you're incurring card disadvantage but brazen borrowers like being a two mana bounce spell that draws a card as an instant just like it gets you out of so many situations where you just like pass with two mana up they like play something big like a rotting regisaur or something or a questing beast and you can just like bounce it draw a card basically you draw three one flash but right that's something that hopefully your deck wants if you're playing it <laughs> yeah i mean a three one with flash is not nothing because it, it having flash means it's sort of like a lightning bolt against an attacking creature and uh and it's a real clock like that's the reason why delver secrets was such a scourge for a while a three power flyer um is uh is a real real threat yeah, totally. And so, uh, actually, speaking of Brazen, Brazen Borrower and a uh, blue-red flash deck style deck in general, there is a list that top 32 the challenge uh, that is a, a blue-red flash, basically, uh, and it's playing Kiki Jiki Pestermite as its main win condition. And it is playing two Brazen Borrower, uh, as well as four Briarhorn Cutthroat, which is a card making an appearance from standard. It's the 2-1 flash uh, that whenever you play a spell on your opponent's turn, it gets a plus one plus one counter. Oh, it's two mana, one and a blue. Yeah. Um, so it's real good with like, a brazen borrower because it gets two counters from each half of the borrower. Yeah, there's so many times where I like pass with three mana up and I have a counter spell. They play something that I don't think is worth countering. They play like a doofus or like they play a tap land and say go or something. And I just like Briarhorn opt attack for three untap like pass with all my mana untapped and it just like gets so big so fast and even more so in modern where you have access to like force of negation <laughs> and uh four lightning bolt four opt two peak four remand two spell snare i mean those are and four snapcaster mage those are like tons of like premium cheap interaction that just like makes it really hard for your opponent to get rid of this borrower and it's just going to be like a five four or a six five in no time you can use your brazen borrower to like clear the way of blockers also this deck is playing three cryptic which you can use to clear the way of blockers um and it even in standard i felt i found it super easy to just like make one big brazen borrower hit them a couple of times and burn them out and in modern where you have access to like snapcasters and lightning bolts it seems like 
no problem to yeah. just have a Brian Bourne cutthroat go all the way if they don't respect it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I thought my, I lost my train of thought. Um, Sorry, I talked for a long time. No, it's okay. I've been playing a similar deck in standard, so I'm really excited to see this break into modern, and I might end up trying it because I probably have all these. I don't have key keys, but yeah, I wonder it's if not hard to acquire. Uh, so Brian Bourne was also seeing a lot of play in the Simic Flash deck that a lot of people were excited about it post rotation because it was losing almost nothing. Um, yeah. And it, uh, the having watched the Simic Flash deck do its thing on streams, I wonder if that's almost strong enough to also make a port into modern. I mean, playing during your opponent's turn always feels good. Totally. So the proliferance of flash creatures and creatures that give you value for playing flash strategies yeah. um, has really ticked up this year. So Yeah, I don't I don't think I was on the episode of the set review for 2020 that talked about Brineborn Cutthroat, so I don't know if I really thought about it in a modern context very carefully, but I do feel like the power level is pretty close. Being a 2-1 means that like it does die to lava dart if they like if you run it out with no untapped mana or you like um or they like respond to your trigger if you like go brian born opt end of turn or something um but it doesn't really die to ren and six because like you're never it's never gonna be just like a two one on their turn when they like you're just you're not gonna like sorcery speed it out on turn two and be like, go, oh, oh, Ren and Six, no. <laughs> like, um, so that's not really an issue. But but I do like think that two ones in general have, or any one toughness creature, Brazen Borrower included, unfortunately, have like kind of a target on their back because of Ren and Six. But Flash goes a long way because with Brazen Borrower, you can like flash it on their end step and hit Ren and Six before they have a chance to activate and then finish it off with a bolt or something. Or maybe yeah. you've already hit it or, you know. And even if you can, even if it has like its four loyalty and you flash in, you swing into it for the three, then they have to decide, do they want to sack their Ren and Six to kill your Brazen Borrow, which feels like a good trade at that point. Right, yeah. I mean, the the fact that these X-1s have flash goes a long way in doing a little bit of work against Ren and Six. Also with Brazen Borrow in particular, you've already gotten value there is a potential for you to have already gotten value by the time they can kill it because you can like bounce a key permanent to like force through a Brian Horn cutthroat, Brian Born cutthroat. I always want to call it Brian Horn. Right. When I was building my deck it's on Arena. It's Born of the Brian. I'm the Alex. I'm the Alex today. And uh, <laughs> Marshall's the Ben. Uh-huh. And I, and so, yeah, in Arena, when I was searching for it to put it in my deck, I literally typed Brian Horn and nothing showed up. And I was like, What? You Where's did. this card? So I like delete, delete, delete until it was just Brian and then it showed up. Oh, uh, born. <laughs> Brian born. Yeah, it doesn't have horns. Horns made no, of Brian. it's not. I don't know um, why I want to call it that. Yeah, so the Paradoxical Outcome decks, this this list, uh, that 5-0 to League from Rav104 was playing uh, four Emery, four Urza, one Psy, three Sahili, the Sublime Artificer. Yeah, the win cons. Uh-huh. And then it has four Paradoxical Outcome, and then its artifacts are four of each. Arkham's Astrolabe, Engineered Explosives, Mishra's Bobble, Ant- Mox Amber, Mox Opal, and then one Pyrite Spellbomb, one Witching Well. Two, four each of the Amber and Opal. So that deck that you're looking at is also playing four Jeskai Ascendancy. Oh, and it's a Jeskai Ascendancy Paradoxical. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it, when we talked about Jeskai Ascendancy with Emery, yeah, we were saying that that allows you, like, we've seen Jeskai Ascendancy shells with Mana Dorks or Fate Stitcher. And just playing four Fate Stitcher is, like, maybe not enough Dorks to really go off with it consistently, but with also four Noble Hierarch, but then you're in four color. And this is, like, just a three color deck that's basically just splashing white for Ascendancy. <laughs> 
And Ascendancy plus Ascendancy with a zero cost artifact that sacrifices itself with Emery is an infinitely large Emery. Right. Um, so and, they are playing the full four Mox Amber, which it's interesting that like all the engine creatures for this deck, Psy, Urza, Emery, are all legendary. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then you're also playing Sahili, which counts for, em- for well, Amber. And it's pretty funny that you can go like turn one a land a mox amber a mox opal if that land was an island you can cast emery now you can (laughs) now you can tap and use your mox amber to play another to play like a witching well and now your mox opal can tap like you can literally barf your entire hand onto onto the table on turn one emery has affinity (laughs) right (laughs) we needed turn one emery to be a thing yeah and turn one emery is very real in in this deck yeah and it Uh, basically just draws you up to four cards and these decks are the paradoxical outcome decks are are often now playing uh, artifact lands too although i guess this one isn't because of just guy ascendancy but the other list that i was looking at um the one that was just playing the one nexus of fate and then the the one ones as the win condition that list was playing dark seal citadel to make emery cheaper right um <laughs> yeah i mean not? why not uh so emery may be a mistake <laughs> yeah time will tell uh, okay, so we've got a bunch of other sweet lists that we saw. Um, this one that I really liked from uh, Davius Minimus uh, went went five zero in a league, and it used Corridor Monitor as well as Charming Prince in a five color uh, uh, Prime Speaker Vanifar deck. So we, I think we briefly what do, touched. What do Charming Prince and Corridor Monitor do for the uh, yes. podcast listeners? So uh, Corridor Monitor is a two cost, costs one and a blue for, I believe it's a zero four. It's a one four. Oh, it's a one four artifact creature that when it enters the battlefield, it untaps target. Artifact or creature. Yeah. I had it in a, in a sealed pool and it was in my deck because I needed a two drop that blocked. <laughs> I mean, a one four for two is not bad. Like, yeah, no. like Horn Turtle was a limited all star for a I'll, while. I'll, I'll play it in draft. It's not the worst. Uh, so it's it's important uh, because it allows you to untap Prime Speaker Vanifar. So now, for the first time, we've have a two drop in modern that does that untap game. Uh, so that now you can start with Vanifar and literally any creature and climb up the chain. Uh, you can sacrifice the Birds of Paradise, go get Corridor Monitor, Monitor untaps. Uh, Vanifar, then sack the the quarter monitor to go get what's the three drop? Are they, are they playing a Deceiver Exarch? I can't see. I don't one. see a Deceiver Exarch. Oh, you can get a Renegade Rallyer. Oh, you get a Renegade Rallyer. That's interesting. So this this card allows them to cut Deceiver Exarch because it's basically two mana Deceiver Exarch. Right. Right, and Renegade Rallyer is just much more versatile than Deceiver Exarch. So moving Deceiver yeah, Exarch down to the range plan, which like a lot of times these decks have to default into because if your opponent is playing Jund, they're just going to kill every Vanifar. Yeah, within a mile of the table. <laughs> right. So uh, yeah, and so the whole plan is to climb up to Kiki Jiki Resto Angel, and uh, once you got that, then you got infinite Resto Angels. Yeah, and then Charming Prince is is another flicker effect too. Also, it allows you to like rebuy your other ETBs, like your Eternal Witness that you're playing one of, and your one Knight of Autumn, and your Renegade Rallyers, and yeah, it's got a bunch of one ofs that are useful, like Deputy and Eternal Witness and Crater Maker and uh, that sort of thing. But Charming Prince does other stuff too, right? It also scries two or gains you three life. Yeah, when it enters the battlefield, you get to scry two, gain three life, or blink a permanent you control. So, I, 
I love, by the way, that they decided like, oh, we got to have a prince charming in this. Yeah. So how do we represent a charming prince? And someone's like, ah, well, we have charms and magic. Let's yeah. make a creature that's a charm. A lot of punsters in R and D. But I also like we we were we were talking about um, a, another list that I want to talk about. That's a five O list from Finn Crown. That was Mono White Emiria, the Sky Ruin, and it's also playing Charming Princess for Charming Prince in there. And this Emiria deck is all about using blink effects like Charming Prince and uh, Flicker Wisp, along with like Sun Titan who buys back things to really abuse the ETBs of Wall of Omens, Thraben Inspector, Ranger Captain of Eos, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and the the thing that I really like uh, about Charming Prince is uh, Charming Prince specifically says, exile target creature you own, then return it to the battlefield under your control. So if someone has stolen a creature away from you with like Archmage's Charm or something, the Charming Prince charms that creature back to where it belongs, hmm. which I... So Flicker Wisp can do that too, but Charming Prince does it at only two mana, along with some versatility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that same uh, that same sort of ability to charm a creature so, that's wait, been... Oh. so that Amiria list is, is unusual. It's playing a couple of blue cards. It's playing Winds of Abandon, which I don't remember what that does. No, Winds of Abandon is the uh, Overload Path to Exile. Oh, that's sick, because it's like a slower, big white deck that can afford it. But it's also playing a uh, an Eldraine card, right? It's playing... Uh, I can't see it, because it looks like you've... Brought back. Brought back. Oh, no, no brought that was back our is, preview card. Yeah, brought back was our preview card. For some reason, I totally misread those two cards and thought they were blue cards. No so, way. yeah, so the, the deck is playing brought back. It's running uh, a bunch of fetch lands, the v- Vistas, Heaths. Um, Do we have brought back up here? Oh, no, it didn't, didn't make the wall, but yeah. it's a good one. It's a good one. The deck also has one Crucible of Worlds to kind of act as a brought back effect. Um, and it also has a Kami of False Hope. So you can sort of play uh, a game with Sun Titan and brought backs and that sort of thing to be fogging against the decks you need yeah. to fog against. So it's kind of a fun deck. And then it ultimately plans to get up to Amiria the Sky Ruin, uh, which is a not legendary land. For a while, they were experimenting multiple around. Multiple Amirias, why not? I guess you can have multiple Castle Lockthwains yeah, and stuff can. now, too. So, But uh, Amiria says, like, at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control seven planes, you may return target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield. Yep. So uh, that's pretty good with creatures that have strong ETBs. And uh, and so I, I liked, I liked uh, the role of Charming Prince there. But the one other Charming Prince list that I really like is one that utilizes... Uh, w- arguably the worst card <laughs> from Kaladesh, but like it 5 0 to league here. A dubious challenge. Ooh. We used to make jokes that putting this card in your deck, uh, was a dubious challenge. <laughs> yeah, so somebody took up the dubious challenge. So, uh, dubious challenge costs three and a green sorcery. Look at the top 10 cards of your library. Then exile up to two creatures from among them, then shuffle your library. Target opponent may choose one of the exile cards and put it onto the battlefield under their control. Put the rest onto the battlefield under your control. So the card lets you look at 10, pick two. Your opponent gets the first choice out of the two of them, and then you get the other one. Yes, if you flip like an Elish or something, your opponent can just be like, oh, I'll take that, and then you get the leftovers. Right, so it's like, why would you ever do this? Isn't it instant or a sorcery? It's a sorcery. Okay. So there's lots Make of things going against this. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's it's got to be as bad as possible. So 
The goal of this deck that was run by KF Chicken to a 5-0 in a modern league is uh, the big creatures it has. It has four Emrakul, the Aeon's Torn, and two Iona, the, the Shield of Emeria. Uh, and the goal when you dubious challenge is to hopefully see one of those. But then the other, and so you exile it. The other creature you choose to exile is either a Charming Prince or a Flicker Wisp or a Trostani Discordant. Because okay. remind me what Tristani Discordant does. So Tristani Discordant is a five cost, costs three a white and a green, and she's like a one four that has creatures you control have plus one plus one. When she enters the battlefield, make two one one, one, one okay, soldiers okay. with lifelink, and at the beginning of your instep, all players gain control of all permanents they own. Ooh. So between the prince charming your creature back, the flicker wisp flickering the creature back, and Tristani discording the creature back. Uh, as long as, like, whichever one your opponent chooses, those cards only give them back to their owner, or can only, Charming Prince can only target a card you own. So they can never use Charming Prince. Like, if, they, if you reveal Charming Prince and Iona and you exile them both, well, now they have the choice. They either choose Iona, which is immediately going to get Charmed yeah. back, or they choose Charming Prince, in which case you get the Iona, and they get to scry to. Which I guess that's technically the correct play, but they're probably <laughs> going to lose, because your Iona is, is going to be a little bit better than their Charming Prince. Right, I mean, I guess they can choose Iona, name white, and now you are also locked out of white, but you're locked out of white with an Iona. Oh, and then you flicker it with, yeah, so then you, you get to choose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess if, if you reveal, if you get Tristani and they choose Iona and they name white, well, at the end of turn, I have Tristani and Iona and I can't cast white spells anymore, but I still feel like I'm going to win the game. Yeah. You can have those two soldiers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that's pretty funny. I love the idea of charming prince, charming Emrakul, the Aeon's torn back. Like, come on, baby, take me back. <laughs> Don't be like that. <laughs> Don't tear the Aeons. Um, no. I also am of note, this deck is playing for Mosswort Bridge. <laughs> oh man, I didn't even <laughs> so see that. you can win more if, if you already have like a bunch of creatures, like a Tristani pumping your team or like a, an Emrakul in play or something, you can just like, here's another Emrakul. <laughs> well, or like the other thing it could do, because you've got Tristani who's going to be, like Tristani herself puts out five power. Right. Uh, so that's halfway to a Mosswort Bridge. Uh, Flickerworth's past three power, which is not insignificant, and the deck also runs four blade splicer, and which four, four and which is four power. So, arguably, you could just curve out like a green white stompy deck and mosswort in an Iona or a Imrakul on like turn five, and still feel pretty good. Yeah, it gives you like another plan to put it into play if dubious challenge turns out to be a bit too dubious. Mm-hmm. And uh, four ephemerate, which allows you to make more tokens with Tristani or more golems of blade splicer i guess you can also like ephemerate your charming prince to like scry deep to like find your combo pieces right like it, it could be funny if you dubious challenge and there doesn't seem to be like if you have a charming prince on in play and an ephemerate in hand then dubious challenge is completely safe because you can always ephemerate your charming prince to charm whatever creature they oh, choose that's true yeah so that way if you like dubious challenge and you don't see what you need well, it's like, oh, I guess I'll take this Arbor Elf and you get Emrakul, but I'll flicker my Charming Prince and get it back right. anyway. <laughs> or you could do something like dubious, like if you have a 
Prince and an ephemerate, a prince in play of an ephemerate in your hand, and you dubious challenge and you reveal like Imra Cool and Iona, you can exile them both. It doesn't matter what they choose, and you charm back the other one. That's good. So, okay. I hadn't seen ephemerate like that until we talked it out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I guess four smugglers copter to dig, put some pressure, add some power to the board from right. Oswart. And you can always throw Imra Cool away and shuffle your graveyard back in. Yeah, that's so, true. Blade Splicer can crew it. Yeah. So this deck is a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit budget because he's running Avacyn's Pilgrim instead of uh, Noble Hierarch. Yeah, and but only you know, four fetch lands plus Temple Gardens. Yeah, I do think that. I mean, it's you know, a little. I guess four Emrakul is is where the the cost is at. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I like. I don't know, but it was interesting to to see that little uh, thing. It's probably but, the cheapest deck we've talked about so far. So. <laughs> Welcome to modern. <laughs> But uh, yeah, for the memes alone, good job, KF Chicken. Love your <laughs> dubious challenge deck. If I would be playing it. So Drown in the Lock is a card from Throne of Eldraine that I was pretty hyped on. And uh, we talked about it briefly in part of the episode that got lost. But so Drown in the Lock costs a blue and a black for an instant that says... Choose one. Counter target spell with a converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of cards in its controller's graveyard, or destroy target creature with a converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of cards in its controller's graveyard. Michael, how many how many cards tend to end up in a person's graveyard in modern by turn two? Uh, quite a few. You've got like fetch lands and serum visions or lightning bolts or something. I mean, there's like a good number of stuff that's going to end up excuse me in your graveyard. And converted mana costs of things and tend to be small too. So even if your opponent is like turn one, Forest Noble Hierarch, like it really only takes two, you kill the Noble Hierarch, now they have one, and then if they like fetch the next turn, now you counter their two drop, right? Like you're not playing anything that costs more than three or four most of the time. So it doesn't take long for this to just counter or destroy anything. Right, which is really, really crazy. Like this card only costs two mana. It's now probably the closest version of straight counter spell that we have in modern now granted it requires you to be in two colors yeah it's tricky though because it does ask for your opponent's graveyard so like in the scenario where your opponent goes forest noble hierarch or ancient ziggurat noble hierarch or something and you have this in your hand it might be a while till it does something especially if like it becomes a known quantity to the point where people are playing around it or yeah. post board you know maybe your opponent's playing rest in peace or something or yeah um i, I mean it, it's a little bit situational so I don't know why I'd say it's the closest thing to Counterspell, but in a lot of matchups, I think it is Counterspell. Yeah. I was actually, in the Lost episode, I was actually higher on this than Alex was. Alex yeah. didn't like it. Um, yeah. If I recall correctly, Alex might come in and correct me or something. But um. <laughs> Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think he, he was sort of like medium on it. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting about this Drown in the Lock card is it's showing up in my favorite, I can't believe this is viable in modern, but apparently it is decks, which are Niv to Light. <laughs> the decks that use Bring to Light and Niv Mizzet Reborn uh, to just outvalue your opponent. So, yeah, which we did see one of those in the top 32 of the challenge, so it is definitely a legitimate deck. It wasn't playing any Eldraine cards. It, it uh, you know decided not to play john on the lock the yeah. one the one from the challenge which which is what i looked at but. right so there a a list that i saw that is playing it was a 5-0 from rodebo uh so this was so niv misery born remember is a five co- it costs wooberg for a six six flying dragon already pretty good yep uh, and when it enters the battlefield you reveal the top 10 cards of your deck and you may choose any number of cards 
one from each, essentially, each guild of Ravnica. So two color cards that are different color pairs and put them into your hand. So Magical Christmas Land, Niv-Mizzet draws you uh, 10 cards. But that almost never happens. (laughs) But in a deck built for it, drawing five to six cards is not unheard of. And turns out getting a five mana 6-6 flyer that draws you six cards is really good. Yeah. And, and it, even drawing just three cards can be backbreaking. Yeah, and it dodges a lot of the removal in Modern. I mean, it, it's got enough toughness to never get killed by Lightning Bolt or anything. I mean, I guess Light Bolt, Snap Bolt kills it, but it, it doesn't die to Fatal Push even with Revolt. I mean, it, it dodges a lot of the removal that you see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it can't be dismembered. So part of the thing that was exciting is um, the Demir cards have not always been the most exciting. Like when you're building your Niv to Light, oh, it's called Niv to Light because you also run Bring to Light as more Niv Mizzets. Makes sense. Um, and so the Demir cards tend to be sort of weak, but you want to kind of run a few of every guilds to maximize your chances of drawing them and drown in the lock. Cause you have to have different guilds. So if you like overload on like, you know, you decide Rakdos cards are the best and you're playing like four Terminate and four Dreadbore or something or four Blightning, I don't know. And then, but if you see two Terminate and a Dreadbore in those 10 cards, you can only take one of them, right? So you right. want to have like a diversity of different guilds in your deck to make sure you maximize the number of cards you can draw. Yeah. And so, like, this list from Rotobo, like, as an example, uh, it's running, uh, like, one Oko Thief of Crowns, two of the three Drop Teferi, three Red Insects. Those are all different guilds. Uh, it has one Huntmaster of the Fells, one Knight of Autumn, one Tulsimir Friends of Wolves. I like the Tulsimir and Hunter of the Fells uh, yeah. synergy oh, going on there. Going. I like that it makes Tulsimir Friend of Wolves modern viable. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess, like, there's enough things that make wolves and, like, the card is enough value that maybe it's, like, a fringy top-of-the-curve Celestia guy. I never thought of it that way until I saw this, but it's starting to show up in Standard, too, because of, like, it's whenever any wolf enters the battlefield, uh, you gain three life and it fights target creature. Yeah. It may, you may have it fight target creature, I think. I think it's it? you may, Yeah. Yeah. So it comes in, it's a 3-3, makes a 3-3 that immediately gains you three life and fights. So it's like kind of, it reminds me of Huntmaster, costs yeah. an extra mana, but like ha- comes with a lot of value. And if you can get like one more trigger off it, I feel like that's where it really starts to go crazy. And so in standard, there's like enough good wolves in standard now that like Garrick makes wolves and there's Wicked Wolf and there's Night Pack Howler, which like makes a wolf every turn and also pumps all your wolves. Ambusher. Ambusher, Night Pack Ambusher. Night yeah, Howler is probably a card from Dark Ascension or something. I, don't I know, think but. so. <laughs> I think I think it transforms. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Night Pack Ambusher. Yeah. Uh, so it's like Tulsimir is starting to see play in Standard where it didn't pre-rotation. So maybe maybe it just needs the right cards to be a thing in Modern. Yeah. Yeah. Like Huntmaster. Uh, um, like Niv-Mizzet and you need Selesnia cards in your deck. <laughs> right, right. And like it's funny because like the Selesnia cards, like they'll run like Safe Right Quest which you can play in either green or white to sort of fix your mana. And a lot of these I decks... Guess, I guess what Tulsimir is doing here is I think that you just want a little bit of life gain in your deck. And, like, this is a card that is basically Celestia Thrag Tusk. Like, normally you want to play Thrag oh, Tusk. yeah. Because it gains you a little bit more life. It has more... It doesn't have more power, I guess. But it, it gains you more life... And so, like, if you want that effect, you just play Thragdusk. And the fight, it kind of can somewhat make up for the power also. Right. Well, you ha- you get six power out of your Tulsimir, 
right? It's just not totally, yeah. As eight opposed to the total eight, from drag test, yeah. but across some stuff has to happen. But yeah, I mean, and they normally, both have the punishment for bouncing. Yeah, yeah. You you both want to play. You want to play um, drag test most of the time. It's easier to cast. It gains you more life up front. But this is like a card that has a guild that Niv can pick up that does a drag test impression. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, a lot of this deck is uh, uh, powered by both Pillar of the Pay Runes, which is essentially a painless City of Brass in a deck that's only running gold cards, uh, and the Arkham's Astrolabe Snow Mana Base. Um, and uh, wow, Five-Color five Snow sounds like something that would be so atrocious like a year ago, and here we are with Arkham's Astrolabe, and it's like, yeah, yeah, you just have the Five-Color Snow Mana Base, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because like Astrolabe is such an elegant card that all you have to do is find one of them and now your mana base feels really good and any yeah. additional ones you find just make your mana base even smoother and they never cost you a card. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people saying that like Arkham's Astrolabe is one of Modern Horizons big sins because it like makes mana bases too good mostly in popper but also in in modern and maybe even older formats. And the fact that it's a one mana artifact that like the Urza decks can take advantage of or like other artifact shenanigans decks that generally nobody wants to play against. <laughs> yeah. 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 And the, the, yeah, the combination of Astrolabe and Prismatic Vista really yeah. cemented the ability to play these like hodgepodge snow-based mana bases. And yeah, and so now we have five color Niv Miseryborn, which I don't know what sort of testing for modern the future future league ever considers but i i highly doubt they ever thought oh bring to the light plus niv miz it's going to be a thing in modern <laughs> yeah i'm sure that they were pleasantly surprised but yeah so this deck is playing one drown in the lock as a as a demir card alongside right. the other demir card of one unmoored ego which sometimes just wins matches out of nowhere yeah uh, and now it's running one this one's running one thought erasure which i thought was kind of a good a good oh, pull like from from last bad. year um, you know, the, that reminds me, so, so thought erasure is kind of like, uh, it does a good thought sees impersonation. Um, yeah. and when you were mentioning peak a while back, so peak is one of those cards that I'm excited to see, see more play in modern. Cause it's always one of those cards that I'm surprised doesn't see more play in modern. Uh, cause it's the best rate you can get for cycling through a card and it gives you a ton of information, which I feel like a lot of people, like, part of the value of Thoughtseize is obviously preemptively getting rid of a threat, but it also then gives you semi-perfect information for much of the rest of the next, you know, the next several turns, yeah, you have semi-perfect information. Um, a turn one Thoughtseize can give you, like, a perfect game plan for the next two, three turns. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, peak historically got played uh, in Splinter Twin. Like, when Gitaxian Probe was legal, you played peak over... Gitaxian Probe, because you wanted to know if the coast was clear, but you also wanted to play at instant speed. You wanted to pass with open mana on turn one to maybe spell snare or lightning bolt. You wanted to pass with open mana on turn two to maybe remand or mana leak or something. You wanted to pass spell with open pierce. Mana. Right. Not spell spell snare. No snare. I don't think you're playing pierce. Well, spell snare is point. always a two cost thing. Well, if you're on the draw. Oh, fine. gotcha. I mean, okay. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you, so you want to pass with open mana every turn. And like, I guess probe is like a sorcery that you, you know, can pay some life for. But yeah, I mean, they were playing peak um, 
as like an instant speed card that didn't cost you any life. Uh, you could see if the coast was clear to go for your combo. It's like an okay snapcaster target where like on their end step, if they don't do anything, you can just snapcaster peak to like cycle through cards, find your combo. Um, so yeah, peak has gotten played um, in these like decks that want to play at instant speed. And that is basically what twin is now. You're playing mostly at instant speed. You have Kiki Jiki in your deck as like a pester my Kiki Jiki. So you can like peek to see if the coast is clear, but also it like triggers your Briarhorn cutthroat and it, you know, cycles through cards to find your Brian Born. Brian Born. Briarhorn. Briarhorn's a card, right? Isn't Briarhorn is a elemental that like flash giant growths. Brian Bourne. Dang, I'm Alex Kessling so bad. He can't <laughs> he can't ever hear this episode. We have to make sure he doesn't listen. There's to no it. way he's gonna listen to this episode. Okay, good. The man's too busy. All right, good. So uh yeah, Brian Bourne. I gotta get that right before I'm on with Alex again because he'll call me out. Um, okay. No, so he won't. Brian he'll 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 start saying Briarhorn Cutthroat, and he's like, "Is that the is that the Minotaur that does damage when you discard cards?" Briar yeah. Brian Briarhorn. Um, Brian, it triggers your Brianborn Cutthroat. It's like an okay Snapcaster target if you don't have an opt in your yard. It like does it cycles through cards. It does stuff. It's like a good fifth or sixth or seventh uh opt basically yeah yeah it's interesting that's in this push pull place with opt because obviously scry one is powerful and when you're like it's interesting because it's like both of them are good in a combo deck opt is good because you're digging towards your combo pieces and peak is good for when you're ready to go to make sure you're safe um so it's cool to see them showing up more and so i was just thinking about how peak and thought sees or like peak and uh like Inquisition fit in the same place where they both are sort of card neutral. You're giving up a card for them to give up a card in peak. You're just not giving up a card. And in both times you get information about your opponent's hand. Yeah. Uh, Drown the lock is also showing up in a cool, uh, mill deck. So mill, I feel has always been like tier two, but always making like surprise showings in various modern yeah, tournaments. Well, It's interesting in limited, um, the blue black archetype in Eldraine is like mill, but it's not necessarily mill your opponent's entire deck. It's like mill them until they have a certain number of cards in graveyard, and then you turn on your drown in the lock and you turn on your um. There's like a draw spell that like gets cheaper if they have uh, cards into in the graveyard. story, which saw which is now seeing some modern play. Yeah, Ooh, that's cool. So um, and then yeah, Vantress Gargoyle like attacks if they have more cards in graveyard. There's like cards that count your opponent's graveyard and like do something based on how many cards they have. Yeah. So into the story is a card that I was excited to see show up in modern. It's been shown up in some Grixis flash decks. Um, so into the Let's story is a, yeah, I think I have it. Right. I kind of want to look at it on your screen. Yeah, here it is. So, <laughs> so this Grixis flash deck by aspiring spike went a five Oh, um, and the deck, uh, plays two of into the story. So into the story costs five, uh, and five blue, blue for an instant draw four cards. It's an instant. Yeah. Wow. I thought that card was a sorcery. I had it in one of my sealed pools, but yep. I wasn't playing blue. So oh, yeah. So pay attention to it. <laughs> so it's a seven mana instant draw four, but it has the text. If your opponent has seven or more cards in their graveyard, it costs three less. So nice. then it becomes a four mana draw four instant speed. And That's uh, pretty strong. the card opportunity has seen play and constructed levels of magic before. It hasn't really broken through in modern because you just don't really want to be spending six mana. By the time you're paying paying six, you can just be playing Sphinx's Revelation or something else and get a little bit more value, a little bit more flexibility. Right. But in a 
it's interesting because like this card came out there are, because so much of modern, even with the banning of faithless looting, is still a pretty graveyard intensive format. By time you want to be able to cast this to refill your hand, your opponent might have seven cards in their graveyard. In which case, for four mana, the amount that you would play for like a factor fiction, you can just get a four zero pile that your opponent doesn't get to see. Right. And so what I was saying about drowning the lock, like not always doing what you want because maybe your opponent like just isn't putting cards in their graveyard because they're like a deck like humans or a deck like collected company decks where they just like play to the board and they have very few instants of sorceries and sometimes they don't even bother with fetch lands because like they have a different thing going on with their mana base like unclaimed territories or you know mana dorks or whatever um but an interactive deck like this is just going to put cards in your opponent's graveyard you're going to be countering their spells with you know uh the you got cryptics and your yeah Force of negation. You're lightning bolting their creatures. Well, You're, force of negation exiles. I almost said force of negation, but <laughs> Yeah. Well, you've got Kolagon's command, which can sometimes put two cards in their yeah. graveyard. And uh, then you have Thought Scourers in your deck, which you're playing Tassigers in this deck and Torrential Gear Hulk and Snapcaster. So generally you want to Thought Scour yourself. But if you have an end of the story in hand and you just count your opponent's graveyard, you can just like, well, yeah, I'll Thought Scour you. <laughs> right. And also because you're playing Drown in the Locks, turn one Thought Scour your opponent. Now my Drown of the Locks are counter true, actually. Maybe because you're playing four Drown in the Lock and two into the story in this deck, you're just Thought Scour your opponent more often than not. Yeah, because I feel like at least to get it started, like, because yeah. your Drown in the Locks, since most spells in Modern cost three or less, most of the relevant ones cost three or less, and then the four cost ones start really, like, breaking the the thing. So if you can get three cards into your opponent's graveyard which thought scour plus them cracking one fetch now your drowning locks are going to be countering yeah, a lot of the spicy you can, cards you can like just turn one thought scour them on their end step holding up spell snare lightning bolt fatal push whatever you need to be holding up and then turn two you can uh just hold up drowning lock and counter yeah. their two drop or even their three drop if you're on the draw and they you know cracked fetch or played a serum visions or something i mean that's thought scour into drowning the lock i think is real and yeah and it's going to be showing up. I like, I think Grixis Control is maybe the best home for it, but it really is only two colors. You could be, that could be showing up in like an Esper deck or in like, you know, just a blue black deck. Yeah. So when it shows up in this blue black, um, mill, mill, mill deck. Oh, I guess this one isn't playing Thought Scour. That seems kind of funny. Yeah, it's but it's not like the best bang for your buck if you're trying to mill their whole deck. But. Um, the one interesting thing about this deck is this feels like a deck that I would want to experiment around with Kess in. Um, the Grixis control? Yeah, like almost... Uh, I've never played much with Tassiger, so I it's hard for me to like rate how valuable... I mean, obviously being able to just spend mana you weren't going to spend to draw yourself cards seems good. And the fact that you can cast Tassiger for like two mana or whatever seems real good. Yeah, it's like one or two mana. You can hold up mana to like counter more spells, right? That's the yeah. idea. But I feel like with aspiring spikes list I would want to maybe try those two Tasker's as two casts and just see whether... Like see how they play differently because the amount of cheap valuable one for ones and two for ones in the instant slot like you got 28 like doing stuff instance well so what's interesting is like kest tends to be better if you're playing a discard suite as your main disruption rather than counter spells and this deck is playing counter spells as its main disruption suite Uh, okay what's interesting is because kest only casts on your own turn so if you like thought seize on turn one when you play kest on turn five you can then thought seize again whereas if you spell snare on turn one you play kest on turn four five that spell snare isn't really doing anything for you what's interesting about drown in the lock is like it's good 
as an instant speed counter spell that plays at instant speed, but it's fine at sorcery speed because it's also removal, which is a really interesting way to build your counter suite to like be friendly towards sorcery speed cards. Right. We were talking about how Drown in the Lock, theoretically, if there was some sort of uh, deck that used the cascade mechanic or the free spell mechanic. Yeah, Fires of Invention uh, or something. Yeah. Like Fires of Invention is the Niv-Mizzet deck in standard where you like play the Fires of Invention that lets you cast uh, two cards without paying their mana cost on your turn. As long as their mana cost is equal to or less than the number of lands you control. Right, and then you cannot play spells in your opponent's turn. So you are like Niv-Mizzeting there. You're like drawing a bunch of big, expensive Planeswalker idiots. You're like, here's Garrick for free. I did it. Like, um, So in a world where you're like doing something like that in modern, Drown in the Lock allows you to like counter spells early in the game or like protect your fires if you have enough mana, but then also is fine if you just have to cast it at sorcery speed. So it like allows you to play a counter spell that synergy synergizes with sorcery speed cards like jace vryn's prodigy is another one that springs to mind oh yeah where like jace vryn's prodigy flashes something back at sorcery speed so you can like use this as a counter spell in your jace vryn's prodigy deck and then flash it back as a removal spell later which i think is like sounds really strong to me and thought scour is a jace vryn's prodigy card too so i think yeah those cards seem like a match made in heaven to me as well right it feels like you could maybe take this basic uh this sort of deck skeleton that aspiring spike he has here and shift the uh the counterspell suite towards more the proactive discard suite and try uh cast but otherwise a lot of the value cards like the drowns the fatal pushes the into the stories colon's command all those still feel like like you're saying you, you just change aggressive uh discard in for a lot of the counterspells but then you can still keep drown in the lock so that you're still playing counterspells you can still counter that Oh, I need to counter this Titan Urza or, or Urza yeah. or whatever. Uh, it's funny how like you have to counter the Titan or the Urza. Just killing it is yeah, usually not, not enough. Not even close to <laughs> enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a cool list. The uh, mill deck that I was talking about initially. Uh, so this one uh, gets to use both Drown in the Lock and the new Vantress Gargoyle, like you were talking about. I like Vantress Gargoyle in the deck like this. Yeah, so Vantress Gargoyle is acting a little bit like Jace's Jace's Phantasm. Which they're also playing for of. Which they're also (laughs) playing for of. Um, And so this deck is running four Hedron Crab, four Jace's Phantasm. Jace's Phantasm, by the way, it's a one drop, will cost one blue, one one flyer, that if your opponent has ten ten or more cards in their graveyard... Uh, it gets plus four, plus four. Uh, and then uh, Manic Scribe, which is when it enters the battlefield, mill somebody for three, and then it has Delirium at the beginning of each player's turn, upkeep. If you have Delirium, mill three. Okay. That's an interesting choice. I feel like that card isn't super strong. So when it enters the battlefield, yeah. In the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, if they're if you have delirium at the top three, I guess it's three cards every turn. And yeah, it's like hard to get a better rate than that. So it's a little bit like a hedron crab, uh, and then Vantress gargoyle, like you mentioned. The cool thing about Vantress gargoyle is it's a fine defender until you've turned on, right? Because it can it 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 can block as long as you have four or more cards in your hand, which you're playing a control deck, so you will always have four or more cards right. in your hand. And then it can attack once your opponent has seven or more cards in their graveyard. And then the cool part is it's just a two-mana 5-4 flyer, so it's an excellent blocker. It can block phoenixes and uh, like all sorts of like prowess red creatures. Yeah. All day. Like how, like how much do they have to prowess 
like they have to combine both a lightning bolt and sacrificing there. Yeah. It's yeah. going to two for one a lot of people. It is an artifact, which makes it easy to destroy. However, it, it also like now it's an artifact for your manic scribe, right? Like you play Vanishes Guard Ground on turn three or turn two, and then they kill it and you're like manic scribe. But now I have, you know, um, prowess because i've already played an archive trap and cracked fetch and whatever right like right right <laughs> um, yeah the deck's got archive trap it's got two crypt incursion which i really like like crypt yeah, incursion I is so that's... gas against dredge so gas against the hedron crab vine which is kind of morphed out of the death of hogak yeah. um and then it's got so drown the log fatal potion phantasm and two gargoyle it it looks more like this deck has a plan to just kill you uh, and if you get milled out before then, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's got it's got four glimpse and four archive traps. So it, yeah, it's cool that it sometimes you draw an opening hand, you're like, oh, it's got a glimpse and a trap. Like I'm definitely going to get there. But sometimes you'll draw an opening hand that has like a phantasm and a gargoyle or two phantasms, and you're like, oh, I'm just going to beat you to death yeah, once turn I've got one. Jace's phantasm. Oh, you fetched an archive trap. Uh, turn two <laughs> gargoyle. Like you're you're just they're much bigger than like anything your opponent is, your opponent is like. Oh, I don't know, girl mag angler uh, like <laughs> and, and what's cool is like that ability then allows you uh to use your sideboard the sideboard here has like four ley line of sanctity two plague engineer four surgical extraction two hercules recall a knight of souls betrayal which is kind of a fun card uh instead of drift and chris incursion but it's cool that i imagine sometimes if you realize oh my opponent's just going to be able to beat my creature beat down you can essentially side out your creature beatdown plan and side into a more heavy mill control deck, which I think is a... Yeah, and then it has, like, the classic mill package, four archive trap, four glimpse, three mismeric orb, uh, and then visions of beyond. um. And I'll tell you what, Field of Ruin has gone such a long way towards making um, these mill strategies better because, I mean, you could always run ghost quarter you can always ghost quarter them and then archive trap them haha gotcha but field of ruin making it so you don't have to lose out on lands uh is just so big yeah totally yeah so yeah it's a cool deck and i like vantures gargoyle vantures gargoyle we didn't mention also tap uh each player mills one card which is relevant in like if you're a mill light game vantures gargoyle can turn on itself uh also turn on your drown in the lock and uh, turn on your manic scribe and turn on your manic scribe yeah, because it mills cards from your deck, too. So Vantures Gargoyle Manic Scribe seems like a match made in heaven. Um, I guess Manic Scribe also sometimes, like, eats removal that, like, allows, clears the way for your Phantasm or your Gargoyle later on or something. Did we see what its power like, and toughness Once you're already was? playing creatures, it's, a, it's an 0-3. Okay. Well, that's not bad, too. Like, yeah, it blocks some stuff. Like, knowing that they will have to waste a kill spell or else their Goblin Guide can't get through it, you know, doesn't seem irrelevant. Yeah. So. It's two mana, so it's like a two mana O three is like, meh, but yeah. But you're not playing on beating down. No, well, not well, with manic scribe. <laughs> not with manic scribe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean the the gargoyle, it, it it's cool. Like there were times, and my only experience playing against so far is limited. But but in limited, where like my opponent would just play it on turn three, and I just can't attack with my two drop. I can't attack with my three drop. I play a four drop. I'm like, well, do I want to trade with their two drop? And they're just like getting ahead the whole time. They're like doing other stuff, playing creatures, and I just cannot pressure their life total at all for only two mana. Yeah. And then eventually it turns on and just beats me up if I don't get rid of it. Like it just demands removal or it just like changes the entire game. And I think that's honestly true in modern. Like if you end up trading this for like a Tarmogoyf or something, sometimes that's fine. You mill them out. They die. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
it's such a good rate at two mana. I'm yeah. still sort of dumbfounded by the fact that uh, it can still block. Yeah, if you have four <laughs> more cards in hand, which is like you play it on turn two, how many cards are you going to have in hand? Probably a lot. <laughs> yeah, even if you're on the play turn two after going land, then land Vantress Gargoyle, you still have five or six cards in your hand. Yeah, so five. You have five you cards have five. in your hand. So, so you could have played like a Fatal Push on turn one to get rid of their Noble Hierarch and then play Vantress Gargoyle on turn two. You still have four cards in hand. You can still block. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the card is, the deck is playing uh, Visions of Beyond. So the mill, you know, turns out if you're playing mill, you do get to play Ancestral Recall. Yeah. Uh, and it plays Sheldock Isle, which is, you yeah. know, a, these hideaway lands. They're yeah, still they're sh- seeing. They're showing up. Showing up. Um, two lists that I wanted to talk about just because i like them so much and i have one of those too so i'll we'll do yours first oh sure okay so one of them is uh i love bant soul herder this is like a deck that was initially uh start like uh, like gabriel and the Seaf like brought it to a lot of people's attention by streaming it and it's just bant enter the battlefield value well, I know you've always wanted there to be a modern deck where Coiling Oracle is playable. So oh, this is it's... this is it for you. Yeah, Coiling Oracle. It, both Coiling, Coiling Oracle, Oracle is like Ben is like Marshall's Mir Superion. I do. I mean, I love Coiling Oracle. Like it's it's got so much value. I love Risen Reef for the Snake same Elf Druid. Can't go wrong with that. Uh-huh. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like you could have about a million creature types because it's also like a mutant and stuff. Yeah, yeah. but uh, so Coiling Oracle, which is the uh, Cost a green and blue for a 1-1 when it enters the battlefield. You reveal the top card of your deck. If it's a land, put it onto the battlefield. If it's not a land, put it in your hand. So it's all the great tastes of all the two-drop draw card guys, but also with the chance of ramping you. Um, so this deck runs four Coiling Oracle and also four Icefang Coatle, who does a decent Coiling Oracle impersonation while being flashy, flying, and sometimes death-touchy. Yeah, definitely easier to two-for-one your opponent with the Ice Fang because you can draw a card immediately and then block something at instant speed and just, like, instant two-for-one for for two mana, which, as we've discussed in the cast before when evaluating new cards, like, the potential at a two-for-one for for only two mana is very strong. Yeah, and even if you're not two-for-one-ing, the fact that it's a free card when you flash it into your opponent's turn to draw a card, and now I have a 1-1 flyer that will eventually have Death Touch Mm -hmm. that didn't cost me a card, and because it had Flash... Ultimate, and it can chip in for damage to their head, yeah. Uh, There's a lot of decks playing the Coatl in their Stoneforge packages because it carries a sword really well. Um, But uh, so these, these Soul Herder decks... Their, their principal card, Soul Herder, which blinks. So you're getting extra triggers of these card draw creatures. You're getting extra triggers of Reflector Mage and uh, Knight of Autumn. And uh, like like this build has like Watcher for Tomorrows, which is another card we're really excited about. Speaking of hard, hideaway cards. So, hideaway. Uh, and this one's running Collected Company. Um, and then it has a few Ephemerates because it turns out Ephemerate plus Eternal Witness is infinite. So I card advantage. I think um, Gabe Nassif was not typically playing Collected Company, was he? No. List? So this is this is a this is a five zero build from Lindsay Wa- Lindsay Waker uh, that uh, so it took the basic Gabriel Nassif shell. Um, it's a lot of these builds are now running Time Warps because it turns out it's really easy for you to set up Time Warp plus Eternal Witness and soul herder to take infinite turns or or ephemerate or ephemerate with uh, eternal witness and time warp to take infinite turns so uh ephemerate showing itself to be 
extremely powerful. I like that this this deck is a deck that revels in all the cute cards from Modern Horizons that it's like a big pile of great Modern Horizons cards. Nice uh, uncommon payoff card for limited. Oh, wait, four of in a modern deck. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Plus it's, you know, it's Soul Herder. So it's got Seb Kim McKinnon's beautiful art on it the whole time. It makes sense. I mean, so Gabe Nassif, I, I think, is partial to like Jace the Mind Sculptor and control cards because he's historically been like a blue-white control player. But so, yeah, I, he usually plays Planeswalkers in that Collected Company spot. But it really does make sense to put Collected Company there because you're playing tons of like two and three mana just like value creatures where you can just like you know collected company into soul herder eternal witness get back collected company and just like you can just you know it seems like it fits perfectly in the deck and i'm sure gabe nasif tried it at some point on his stream but when i've seen him play it he's usually not playing it so he decided it wasn't for him but it definitely seems like a card that fits perfectly into the deck right yeah i really like gabe nasif like where his brain goes in in bruise he's just a big fan of like like strong incremental resilient value uh i love his soul tie ninjas build like i personally immediately built that um and again it plays ice fang Kawaddle, but then it, it has a lot of value through like ingenious infiltrator and fallen shinobi and stuff like that so i i love i i love creatures who draw cards when they enter the battlefield i love car- creatures who draw you cards when they hit your opponent so Drawing yeah. cards. And I, I think a lot of these like uh, blue creature decks are like been subtly enabled by force and negation, like countering you know removal spells on your creatures. It makes it a little bit safer to like spend a lot of mana on a creature. I mean, obviously your opponent can still kill it on your turn because force and negation doesn't protect it. But like you know the fact that if your opponent is tapped out, you can sneak in a fallen shinobi and like maybe even untap with it because you can force their their removal spell or whatever um, yeah. is cool. Um, so, okay. Speaking of like a Bant creature deck, I have one of those. Let me, let me find my, my Bant deck that I found. So I screenshotted this because it's playing Oko and we're trying to talk about Elgrain cards. I think uh, Oko has like been dominating standard um, for those who haven't heard a lot of uh, complaints about it, just like ignoring the text on your opponent's cards uh, and sometimes gaining you a ton of life. And yeah, just having just so much really loyalty. <laughs> Plus, I, I think, uh, you know, the turn one Gilded Goose, turn two Oko is one of the strongest yeah, standard like openings. Nearly unbeatable. Yeah. I mean, you just, you can gain a ton of life if your opponent is pressuring your life. If your opponent is attacking Oko, you're still effectively gaining a ton of life. I mean, it just like makes it really hard for your opponent. You can turn their stuff into three threes if they're playing big Great Henge decks or whatever. Or you could just steal their Great Henge, give it enough loyalty. I mean, one plus. If you go turn two Oko plus, you can steal anything your opponent plays because they probably aren't able to pressure it. And you just like, yeah, it's a really irritating card. And it's made the crossover into modern. So this is um, another collected company Bant deck. Uh, but it's not relying on Soul Herder value. It's a little bit more uh, a beatdown, and it's playing Stoneforge Mystic. So it's got two Oko Thief of Crowns, one Teferi Time Raveler, three Deputy of Detention, uh, which the Soul Herder deck was playing one of, because it's like a great collected company creature. Um, two Giver of Runes, one Hex Drinker, four Ice Fang Kotal, four Noble Hierarch, two Ranger Captain of Eos, uh, which is the Modern Horizon card that searches for a one-drop. Um... You can search for your Giver of Runes or your Hex Drinker or your Hierarch. Three Spell Queller, three Stoneforge Mystic, four Company, four Exile, uh, Pat's Exile, one Batter Skull, one Sword of Feast Famine, one Sword of Fire and Ice. 
Um, so it's just like a Bant mid-range deck playing uh, Oko and Teferi and then like a Collected Company, Stoneforge, pretty standard stuff. But I think it's cool that decks like this are able to be successful. This one is not leaning on Force Negation, although that's just because I think it just doesn't have enough blue creatures. But it's got Spell Quellers with Teferi, um, which is like a cute little combo. Looks like there's only one Teferi. I would guess that this player probably started with more Teferis because it seems like it'd be great in this type of deck and then just kind of cut them down because it wasn't good enough. Or replace Teferis with Oko to try Oko out. Um, I feel like as a starting point for this deck, I would have started with more Teferis because he's like obviously a powerful card and has great synergy with Spell Queller because you like exile their spell and then if they kill Spell Queller, they can't cast their spell because Teferi prevents them. Um, Unless they... I guess if they kill Spell Queller during their main phase. No, because it, it tries to cast it during um, during the resolution of a trigger, a triggered ability. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So it won't. <sighs> Teferi's really irritating. Why, why, they really should have reversed Teferi's static text and it's plus one. Yeah. So I think uh, <laughs> I think that Teferi and Oko both being like really strong two-mana Planeswalkers that you can cast off of a Noble Hierarch on turn two is great in modern, and I you know said as much when we were talking about oko and a few times i've talked about how i think teferi is underplayed in both decks like this and also like combo decks like ad nauseum or urza which mm. it shows up occasionally in those decks now but i think that like i think teferi has a lot of potential in modern and i think that this is the type of shell where he has potential and also the type of shell where i think oko has potential because they both kind of do similar things teferi focuses more if your opponent is reactive because it prevents them from playing stuff on your turn and allows you to like you can play stuff on their turn and like just kind of irritate a reactive player and oko i think is better if your opponent is proactive because it like steals their permanence it gains you a ton of life it like you know turns their urza into a three three like yeah <laughs> um so yeah i think that this is a really cool deck yeah uh yeah and the fact that both of oko's abilities are positive abilities too yeah. so you're neutralizing threats while also making oko harder to remove yeah uh is is a, yeah really strong i wonder and we've seen now a few oko with gilded goose in modern like that the well, yeah, goose so, the so. goose isn't you know the goose is as good as a birds of paradise uh you know as for that first turn and because if you have any way to keep making food, then it stays as good as Birds of Paradise, which was which is obviously a strong modern card. Yeah. So like when we were talking about the comparison between Goose and Hierarch um, on the show, I, I think like Hierarch is better in most of the decks that already exist because you want that mana to like keep going. It allows you to like maybe shave lands because you can afford to miss a land drop to, you know, because Noble Hierarch consistently makes mana. Or you can like curve Soul Hoarder, Soul Herder into Collected Company or into Time Warp, or, or like, you know, you want that mana consistently over time. And like a lot of decks that are playing, mana dorks are relying on that mana every turn. What Goose is good for doing is like in a long game where like now your Noble Hierarch's no longer relevant, it like can continue to produce value and just like put you out of range of a lot of decks like by gaining life right. every turn, basically. Yeah, because at the bare minimum, it's Four, four mana gain three life every turn. Now, it's not great rate, 
but it's something and it's four mana that you can amortize over multiple turns right like if you have kind of come to parity against burn like you stabilize by like killing off their creatures or you have a creature and they have like a goblin guy then they can't break through or whatever but you can't attack because you don't want to die to like bolt your creature attack you level spike or something so you're both just kind of sitting there if you're gaining four life every turn then you're winning and golden and the goose does it at instant speed too so you can like be holding up counters or collected company path whatever and then if you just like feel like you need the life more you can like end step make a food crack it or even you know over the course of two turns does the food remain a food when oko elks it no it loses all abilities uh it will have the food type but it won't have the ability so that's kind of interesting that if you have a goose and an oko actually i think he might replace creature types let's look up oko well food's an artifact type not a creature type oh you're right so so i wonder if it becomes an artifact creature elk food yum yum (laughs) so oko thief wait it says here oko's second ability overrides all colors and creature types the affected creature has it's just a green elk the creature keeps any super types such as legendary but loses any other card types it has such as artifact okay okay. so strike what i just said be an artifact and it will no longer be a food by extension okay okay well well still good that's fine still yeah i mean still it's nothing to sneeze at that if you don't need to if you don't need that mana and you actually have excess mana, then two mana tap goose, make a 3-3 three, three elk is something those two can do together, which is not the worst. Yeah, or make a food, like maybe your earlier Oko food is gone for some reason, you ate it or fed it to your goose, you can like make a food and trade it to them for something good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Oko does a lot. I think uh, I think he's got a future in modern, especially having seen him actually played um, in standard. I feel like turn two Oko is so powerful and standard and you can do it so much more consistently in modern. It's definitely worth uh, thinking about. Yeah. And even the, uh, the Royal Scions I saw showed up in a breach deck as people were expecting. Cool. that. I thre- kind of expected it to be like maybe in a Phoenixy type blue, red graveyard thing. I didn't, Breach is cool, though. It is interesting that the banning of Faithless Looting has made Is It Phoenix completely drop out of the That's modern list. So it I, seems I like it, maybe that, like, maybe in the future there's some way for it to come back with something like yeah, Thought I mean, Scour that it wasn't well, playing previously. And Haggle. Alex is a big proponent of Haggle and uh, Royal Scions. I mean, I think the deck gets slower, for sure, no matter what. But I don't know. I mean, I think it, that we could see Phoenix, Rise of Phoenix, Rise from the Ashes. <laughs> rise from the Ashes. Um, we, you know, it just, somebody has to figure out the right build to kind of get some momentum going. Well, we've been recording for a while, so yep. maybe we'll, uh, do a lot of the cool Eldrain stuff happening in modern. Yeah. So thanks oh, for, I didn't even get to talk about my, uh, well, oh, well, let, next yeah, time, next time. No, we can talk about it real quick. The Bajuka bog, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so this a, is a cool thing. There's yeah. a tweet from Sam Black that I saw. Uh, Sam Black is one of my favorite pro players. Um, and I, he was talking about how, especially with, you know, he was writing an article about Once Upon a Time and he was talking about it in the context of modern. Um, and one of the decks that people are excited about Once Upon a Time for is Amulet Titan because it helps you find your like Sakura Tribe Scout or Azusa or find your um, growth chamber, Simic Growth Chamber or whatever land you need to, to go off. And plus you're playing a bunch of utility lands so it allows you to dig for utility lands. And he was saying, I don't understand why more amulet players don't just play 61 cards in their main deck and take the Bajuka Bog that's typically played in the sideboard and play it main. Um, and then you play 14 cards in your sideboard so you can board out the Bajuka Bog if it's not good. And the like percentage your draws get worse by adding one more card to your main deck is outweighed by the fact that you can like search for this Bajuka Bog using... Um, 
you know, Talarian, Talaria West or Titan Once Upon a Time or Titan and just like randomly win you game ones. Against um, like Dredge or any other right, all in graveyard. Right. Decks. And like the amount of times where the 61 cards is going to matter is like negligible compared to the percentage you're going to gain from having this card in your main deck. And so as a proof of concept, somebody did that uh, and top 32 the modern challenge. So uh, they are playing three once upon a time, and I'm going to find their list. I didn't find it. I got too excited about talking about this because I think it's really cool. Um, when I saw it on Twitter as like a piece of theory from you know somebody who has probably not played the deck a ton, um, but is familiar with the concept, kind of like, hey, why don't we do this? Uh, and somebody did it. So yeah, it, you're you've got this uh, three once upon a time deck with uh, obviously Amulet of Vigor, Ancient Stirrings, all that stuff, and then. Um, you can find the Bajuka Bog with Primeval Titan or um, Teleria West or Once Upon a Time. And it just like somebody tried it out and they they 5 out. So there were also in the Modern Classic two other Amulet Titan decks playing an identical list with the Bajuka Bog on the side. So somebody okay. decided to go for it and a couple other people didn't and they all found success. But I'll be interested to see how this shakes out. And I think it's like a cool piece of tech for Modern where you don't usually think... Ah, uh, yes, the tech is to play 61. <laughs> yeah, and that was that exploits, well, that exploits, but it utilizes a rule change that happened a few years ago that you were explaining to me that I, I didn't even know about that allows you to play less than 15 cards in your sideboard. Right, as long as you present, when you present your deck, if you have 60 or more cards in your deck and less than 15 or less cards in your sideboard, that's a legal deck. So you can side one out and go to, you can start at 6114 and you can side one out to be at uh, 6015 and that's that's legal. So theoretically, after game one, if I'm running a normal 6015, I could side in all 15 cards and not side out any cards and present a 75 card deck and that's fine. Yes. Huh. And that used to not be true. I forget what year they changed it, but I remember there were a bunch of articles from pros kind of like, what is the, like, why does this matter? What what can we do? Like, what is this, how can you use this rule change? And so there were people talking about, yeah, boarding in more cards than you board out, or maybe having a... Like if you're against a mill deck and you're not hurt by adding a few more cards. Yeah, and in, in toolbox decks, kind of like bringing one in, or like having a 61-14 or a 62-13 or something like that. Um, and there were I remember reading articles about it, and it kind of never really was broke into the metagame. I don't know if that's because too few people tried it out or just by chance nobody found success and they decided it was bad or maybe it was bad but it's back um <laughs> in particular because of kind of the draw power of once upon a time and being able to like consistently find your bajuka bug and matchups where it matters but the mana base in that deck is so like carefully constructed because you need to be playing all these weird bounce lands and utility lands and enough basics to you know get pathed or whatever um that you can just, you know, have it be your 61st. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I, I think it would, the, this is kind of the perfect storm of why, when this, when this uh, tech would be viable, because you would want to be able to play it, you know, if you're ever doing this like 6114 in some other deck, it would want to be a deck that has a search mechanism for the extra card. Uh, and that extra card can't, you know, it's good that it's a land, because Bajuka Bog even if you draw it in a in a game where you're, it's not going to be useful, it's still a land, 
and you're playing Amulet Titan. So if you have an amulet, it's a land that'll enter be into the battlefield tap untapped sometimes. Yeah. So worst case scenario, it's just a wastes, which is not the worst thing. You know, the it's it's not as bad as a blank card, the way that uh, you know some sixty first cards like you know a, a like a leyline of the void is a blank card against a lot of decks. Yeah, and so like a lot of the discussion um, about kind of having more cards was centered around toolbox decks. Like I think at the time maybe birthing pod was legal or something. And it was like, you know, decks like that where it's like, I have this, you know, Orzov Pontiff in my sideboard. Is it worth playing 61 to have it main and like win a certain more percentage of game ones? Like, is like the if you're shot calling ones, the metagame and the metagame is going to have a lot of X ones, then maybe I want that pontiff in the main right like but you don't want to cut a card because a lot of time you can just find something to cut out of your toolbox deck when your toolbox is made of lands it can get a little trickier because you need to actually cast your spells but is having that one like silver bullet that you can tutor for worth just putting in the main is that going to win you enough game ones that it's worth the game ones where you draw it and then lose because it was a worthless card or whatever or like the the percentage that it made your draws a little bit worse right like yeah um just by you know cool yeah i thought that was a cool uh proof of concept for something that i that intrigued me you should tweet it at sam black be like look someone someone worked on someone took your advice perhaps i will um but yeah so that's been uh this week's episode of masters of modern uh i want to point out to follow us on twitter at the mm cast you can follow me at marsh unfocused uh, you can follow me at Dudard, D-U-D-A-R-D-D. Uh, you can follow Alex and Ben, the usual Masters of Modern hosts. Alex is at Kess Wiley on Twitter, and Ben is at Ben Bateman Media. Yeah, so follow them on there. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, definitely hit the subscribe button, hit the bell so you get notifications. Uh, if you're not watching this on YouTube, please go to YouTube and subscribe. Subscriptions is a great free way you can support the show that you love. Um, check out our Facebook group, the official Masters of Modern group. Just search for Masters it's of like Modern. It's like mas- the biggest modern-focused group on Facebook, so there's a lot of great discussion there, even um, if you want to talk about weird, fringy stuff or metagame decks or just, like, you know, talk about results, whatever. It's all there. Yeah. Also, check out the pa- our Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash the MMcast. Uh, our patrons get an exclusive, unedited, raw audio from every week's podcasts. You can get weird conversations about creature types or movies or any yeah. number of things that we're talking about beforehand. Whatever uh, we had to cut for time. <laughs> and uh, Patreon helps. It helps grow the show. helps get us uh, better production values and, and that sort of thing. You also get access You get uh, access to a couple of exclusive uh, Discord channels on our Masters of Modern Discord. It's, it's smaller than the Facebook group, a little bit smaller, more intimate uh, conversations go on there. Uh, Alex and I are reasonably active, so it's an easier way to catch our eye. Uh, on discord than on facebook because facebook is so big we can't see everything (laughs) yeah Uh, make sure to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform that you're listening to this and uh, give it a review whether you're on stitcher or itunes or any of those things review so that other people can find the show let them know how much you love the masters of modern um 
Yeah, and so thanks for tuning in this week and bearing with Michael and I. So we make the oh, real and also MMcast. check out our uh, sister show, The Command Zone. Uh, they do everything Commander. So if you are also interested in Commander content, they put out the best con- Commander content on the webs on the web. So uh, yeah. yeah, check out the Command Zone. I'm pretty interested in Commander content. It's definitely my. I'm so excited to go. build check out Kenrith. The, the King returned. I'm gonna put Tainted Remedy in there and kill people with the white ability. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm all about it. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. All right. Well, that has been this week's Masters of Modern. I guess yeah, we'll see you, see you next, next week. week. Peace out. Thank you for your attention. See you later, alligator. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media. Sending podcasts into the future.